You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to RenewLifeChurch.com. Glad you're here. If you're, if you're new here, my name is Braden. One of the pastors here, Cody and Stacy, campus pastor here, and uh, Leanne and I now live in Lubbock. We're helping uh, Keith and Natalie get that campus up off the ground. Another thing that you just, maybe you're new here and you don't know this, or maybe we just don't say it enough, but uh, a couple years ago, the Lord began to talk to us about just, just the plan he, we felt like he had for us as a, as a church and as a community. And so we moved to Lubbock to plant the second church, but we feel like the Lord's called us to seven different cities to plant campuses. Lubbock will be kind of the hub. Feel called to Amarillo, well, I'll start in New Mexico. Uh, Roswell, New Mexico, Amarillo, Wichita Falls, Abilene, Midland, Odessa, and then obviously Lubbock where we're at now. So uh, be praying for those cities. That's something I've been, we actually, we are, those prophetic friends of ours from Florida called us yesterday and had an hour of prophecy from these two dreams and they were just prophesying over the future of this church and where we were going and how we were gonna get there. And it was just, it was just incredible to see people connected to us in spirit. So I just encourage you, if those, any of those cities that I mentioned ever land on your heart, be praying over those things. Uh, and you should just know we are, we are a moving church. <laughs> we, we, uh, it's, it's an interesting thought. I was actually talking to someone in the foyer about this, but you, you have to really embrace quite a bit of selflessness to be a part of what God's called us to do here because it's not always convenient. It wasn't convenient for us right about the time we built this new building and one of my kids was fixing to go start, get to, start going to youth and she was so excited to get to start going to her youth group. Well, we up and leave. They have to find new friends. That new church doesn't have a, uh, it's not as big as this one is obviously anymore. And so uh, there's a lot of sacrifices involved uh, in, in being, this, being this way, I guess is the easiest way to say it, but I'd have it, I'd have it no other way. And it is such a small amount of time that we have to get to be a part of advancing the kingdom of God. And uh, I, I, only the way I said is there's really not a price I don't think I'd be willing to pay. And uh, so it is challenging sometimes to be a part of a church like this where uh, we're moving and shaking, but we, I got any mover, movers and shakers in here. You're okay with some moving and shaking. And uh, we're just so thankful. Uh, this church is so generous. The heart of this church is so generous. Uh, financially so so generous with service service and serving and and just so many things that you've done to make this possible so I'm honored to get to be a part of it Cody and Stacy you guys are doing a phenomenal job pastoring this church can we give your pastors a hand clap doing a good job Pastor Stacy, she ran from the Lord for so many years and we all just prayed and prayed that she would surrender her life to Jesus and Cody, and began to come to work for us in the church. <laughs> no. Anyway, no, we love you guys. Um, hey, if you got your Bibles, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 4. We'll get there eventually. Uh, I, just a bit of a heads up, I, I really did not want this to be a heavy message. The first service, I sent my crash landed the plane. Let's see if I can do a little bit better job of it in this service because uh, the, the goal of this, this message, the, the overarching goal, overarching goal is to, um, is to light a fire of courage on the inside of you and, and in the area, well, well, I won't go into that. I do want a lot of fire on the inside of you to uh, get more involved in what God's doing on the planet. Simply put, get more involved in what God's doing on the planet. Um, the title of today's message is Christian Confrontation. Christian Confrontation. How many of you guys know, know we're already off to a light and easy head start? Yeah, isn't, that just, isn't that just fun? 
I, uh, confrontation's a weird thing. Uh, raise your hand if you've ever been like in an intense confrontation of some sort. You've, you've been in, no, like not just in your marriage, in another confrontation, like, you know. Um, I was reminded when I was, when I was writing this, this message, I was reminded of uh, Trivlian and I took to uh, Seattle. We were at a conference and we had gone there for a couple years in a row. And so we, our friends had an apartment in kind of the downtown Bellevue area, really nice area. And um, we stayed in this hotel because it was within walking distance of their apartment because oftentimes after the conference is over, we'd go hang out with them and then just walk back to our hotel. And uh, this one year, uh, we were there, and we had finished, had a great time with them, after, with some friends and stuff after the, after the services and whatnot, and we're walking back. Mind you, it's after midnight. If you're, if you're not familiar with the Seattle area, there's just a, there's a quite significant transient population, homeless population, and, uh, and just a different set of politics even in, in that neck of the woods, so to speak. And so, uh, but we're coming, we're walking back, and as we're walking back, it's after midnight, we're walking back, and I... Um, we look in front of us and we see this person coming towards us that was clearly homeless and, 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 and my man was just having a hard time. I mean, I don't know what all he was on, but it just he was having a hard time. And, and so we look up and we see the guy and I was kind of, I don't, I don't know, I feel chivalrous to me. I was standing between Leanne and the street and so I'm kind of walking this way. Well, we see this guy walking and Leanne without really saying anything to me, she just kind of switches sides. She's like, you know what? If anybody's going out, you're going out. Like I'm... I'm sacrificing you for our love, you know, so, um, and, and, and I think, best I can just kind of deduce, I, I think the guy saw this, and the guy was already tweaking a little bit already, and just having himself a little situation, and so, I, I think he saw that happen, and I think it just lit a switch, like, just made the whole situation worse, and so, as soon as he got, like, just a few, now, mind you, Leanne had gone to this side, and we were, were kind of linked arm in arm, and, you know, we just kind of keep our heads down. We're just going to walk by. Well, he gets about six or eight feet in front of me, and he just lunges at me and just like, like this and just starts screaming lots of words that I can't repeat, you know, in, obviously in this service. But what happened in that moment was Leanne just went straight like jujitsu, but she put me in a full Nelson, half Nelson, whatever they call this thing. And so all of a sudden, I have my hands behind my back, and that guy is right there in my face, and, I'm, and I just... I just panicked. I don't know another way to say it. It's like, I just panicked and I just go, hey. And then we just looked at each other for a second and then he just walked off. And I'm like, and like Leanne's like shielding me like all the way around, like holding my arms. And I'm like, I'm fixing to get punched in the face at any minute, you know. It was the most bizarre thing. And of course, later on, I'm like, you know how some guys do like after stuff like that, you're like, oh, I'm glad you held me back because it's been a good series up in here. I've been giving that a once, you know. <laughs> but I just, I, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, where there was, whether it was physical or even highly, you know, elevated emotionally, relationally, whatever, but there's just all these crazy emotions. I just remember like we were just, we couldn't go to bed for a while. Craziest thing about it was the next year, same conference, same city, same hotel room, same friend's apartment, walking back, had a similar thing happen in the exact same part on the street, except this time, this group of thugs pull up in a car and they they pull up, slam on the brakes, so we just all of a sudden hear this car screeching to us halt right beside us. The windows come down, and it was like they were going down in slow motion. I was like, I mean, guns are fixing to come out sideways. I just know it. Like, I'm just waiting for them to come out, you know? And these guys just jump out of the car, or out of the window, and just look at us and just start screaming all these cuss words at us, and you just freeze, you know, just like, you know? And then they just drive off. 
And we look, me and Leanne looked at each other like, we should stop coming to this city. We are not supposed to be here, you know. But it's, in, 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 the, the point I'm trying to get to is like, when you're in a, in a very tense uh, situation like that, confrontation like that, there's just all this emotion. And for the most part, none of us like the feelings of confrontation. Just raise your hand if you just don't like the feeling. No, most people don't like the feelings of confrontation. If you've ever been in one, you try to, if you've ever, maybe you did it the first time, you say, you know what, that just really was not worth it. I'm going to try to avoid that. Uh, and it's, I, I began pondering on this thought, just reading scripture, some, even some of the prophetic words that have been spoken over my life and different things. And I just, I was actually just kind of processing some of this in the sh- shower to Leanne. I never thought I'd preach this as a message. I was just talking and I was like, I was like, somebody needs to talk about Christian confrontation to teach people how to do it well and yada, yada, yada. And so anyway, that, that's kind of where this, this came from. And I'm, and I'm fully persuaded and aware of the fact that this is not an easy topic. This is not an easy subject. Most of us don't like the feelings of, the aftermath of confrontation. When I'm writing a message, one of the things that I try to do is the f- first question I ask myself is, what am I really trying to say? Like in this message, what am I really trying to say? Second thing I ask myself is, does it really matter? Does what I really say, is it, does it really matter? Is it going to matter? Is it going to affect change? Is it kingdom? And then if those two answers, if I get a yes on both of those and clarity on the first one, a yes on the second one, the, th- the last thing I do is, okay, what's the most effective way to communicate this? And as I began to just kind of break this stuff down, just being quite transparent, I was just, I had so much stuff on paper and no real, I had no real launching pad. And um, I just had this sense that I was supposed to just begin writing out my thoughts in book form. Like if I were gonna write this into a book, just, I'm just gonna begin to write. I've never done this before. I know some friends of mine that are preachers and speakers and they've done this. And so I just began to write. When I finished it out, I was like, okay, I think that in a nutshell sums up what I'm trying to say and, and it would create a good launching pad. Ran it by Leanne. She said she thought it was good. If you don't like it, it's Leanne's fault. So I just wanna... Such selfless love. I just want to read this to you because I think this is the launching pad. This is, a, this is where I want to come from for the rest of this message. I wrote, I'm concerned that as Christians, we are either ignorant, confused, deceived, or maybe even more commonly, lack the courage, the faith, and the conviction as it pertains to this idea of Christian confrontation. Some might believe that confrontation is either non-biblical, judgmental, or maybe even a violation of the command of love. Others may have only seen confrontation come from a place of the flesh, full of anger, dishonor, pride, at which point I would say to that, I I understand your hesitation on the matter. I would also say that there's probably a larger population that believes that confrontation is both biblical and even necessary, but they lack either the courage, the faith, or the selflessness to risk their own comfort, safety, and or their reputation to actually engage in it. But to gain clarity on the concept of Christian confrontation, simply taking a look at the life of Jesus immediately makes it very clear. Confrontation is biblical, necessary, and dare I say imperative if if we are to be Jesus' followers and advancers of his great kingdom. I've heard it said that in order to love what God loves, you must learn to hate what God hates. Well, God loves people. He loves people so much that he was willing to send his only son, Jesus, to create a pathway back to the life that he had intended for us all along, a life of prosperity, peace, and purpose, a life of uninhibited connection and relationship with both God and man. He loves us so much that he created a pathway back to Eden. And God especially loves his church. That's why he refers to us as his bride. 
People should and most do carry a general love and respect for humanity at large, but it pales in comparison to the love that we feel for our covenant partners, our husbands or our wives. Similarly, there's an intimate connection that God maintains only for those who are in covenant relationship with him, a covenant that's sealed by the blood of his own son, Jesus. But this type of love ignites an undeniable hatred for anything that violates or hurts people, anything that violates or hurts his church. And when we see or experience these types of violations, I believe that love and hate should collide on the inside of us, just like I believe they do Jesus, and leave no other perceived option in our life than confrontation, Christian confrontation. I, um, I genuinely don't want this to get this to get too heavy and I think the easiest way for us to go about this is just really take a look at the life of Jesus because it's very important for us to remember that what Jesus was doing on this earth was so multifaceted obviously he came to die for our sins obviously before he went to the cross he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him those those are some more common things but one of the more uncommon things is that Jesus, and the not so talked about things, is the fact that Jesus came to show us what a, the human experience could look like if we partnered with God. He, he laid aside his divinity. In other words, he laid aside, when Jesus showed up on the planet, he didn't keep his omniscience. He didn't keep all of his, he didn't keep all of his God powers, if you will. He laid that stuff down and he showed us what it, would, what it could and should look like if, if a human being partnered with God and the kind of um, encounter or the kind of experience that they could have on this earth. So anytime you see Jesus do something in scripture, and Jesus said this himself too, he said, even greater things than I've done, you'll do also because I go to my father. Anytime you see Jesus do anything in scripture, it's an invitation for you to follow suit. If Jesus went about doing good and healing all, he's inviting you to go about and do, doing good and healing all. Amen. It's an invitation. But maybe a more difficult subject to, to approach is this idea of what does it look like to step up into the role of Christian leadership and lead in such a way that in, if anything ever happens, whether in the church, whether at, at work, whether in my family, if anything that, ever, anything that ever happens that violates the laws of love, his love for people, his love for humanity, something should rise up on the inside of us and say, that's not good enough. That's not good enough, and I'm gonna do something about it. I'm gonna do something about it. That's really one of the things that I want to ignite in you is this willingness, this courage to desire to not just go through life assuming things just are the way that they are and there's nothing you can do about it, but rather say, you know what? These things will be as this book says because I'm gonna partner with him and heaven's gonna to come to earth. In looking at the life of Jesus and, and this concept of of confrontation, we have to ask who did he confront? What did he confront? How did he confront? Uh, when did he confront? There's all these nuances to this, and, and, I, and I'll just start with simply saying this. Um, the first thing that I, and I think this goes without saying, but I think it should be said, the number one thing that Jesus confronted when he was on this earth, or even one of the first things that he confronted on this earth was Jesus confronted Satan. Jesus confronted the enemy. In Matthew chapter 4, it says, And Jesus was led in the spirit, uh, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. 
But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you're the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hand, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, now pay close attention, Jesus responded, the scriptures say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me, verse 10, and Jesus said, get on out of him. That was the Midland, Texas translation. Get out of here, Satan, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil, then what happened? The devil went away. And the angels came and took care of Jesus. Remember what I said here. Jesus is demonstrating a life for us that we should follow suit in. Um, notice that Jesus, as a human being, was not immune to the, the thief, John 10, 10, the thief who always comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Even Satan, even because Jesus was a human being, he was both God and man, that crazy thing, but because he was a human, the thief came to kill, steal, and destroy. I propose he, there was more attack on him than any other person in history because of the, the awareness that, uh, and even the jealousy that Satan had towards Jesus. And, and so when, when Jesus shows up on the scene, he's fixing to start his ministry. The devil's, it's almost like since the time that Jesus was born, there was a massive attempt on the life of Jesus when he was born by killing all the firstborn sons and all of that. But it's almost like this is the first attack, the second assassination attempt, if you will, on Jesus's life here in scripture. But he waited till he was weak. He waited till he had gone into the wilderness. He waited till he, was, he had fasted. So he, he waited till he was at his weakest point and then the enemy came at him. Anybody ever notice that sometimes when you're at the weakest, you seem to be at your worst? <laughs> you seem to have the worst thoughts. You seem to have the worst thing. Like, it's just like, and then all of a sudden you look up and you're like, man, I, everything seems to be going wrong and I don't think I'm handling any of it right. Why? Because the enemy waited till you were weak and then he attacks. Jesus is giving us an example, a blueprint of how to confront the enemy, how to confront Satan in our lives. And every single time that the enemy came at Satan, what did he say? He said, the scriptures say. The scriptures say. The word of God says. I propose to you, if you don't have the word in your heart, you don't have the weapons for the war. If you do not have the word in your heart, when the enemy comes at you when you're weak, if you are confused, if you don't actually know what the word of God says about your life, if you don't actually know all that Jesus has done for you, if you don't actually know that God is a good father, if you don't know these things, you won't have the, the, the weapon that you need to fight against the enemy in those moments. What did he say? The scriptures say, say that out loud with me. The scriptures say, you have to get that down in your heart. These scriptures, this word, the word of God is supposed to not only be a guide for our life, but a weapon of our warfare. Amen. Every time the enemy came at him, he said, the scriptures say, the scriptures say. But my favorite part about this is he only, he only tolerated it for even so long. And I even told Leanne, don't go in a, on a deep end about this theologically, because one of the things that I, I felt like the Lord began to show me, and again, I don't think it, whether you believe what I'm saying or don't, I don't think it messes up too much. But what I was noticing is the Lord was reminding me that Jesus was also a human being having a human experience. And I don't know if you've ever gone through this, but sometimes when you're having thoughts, 
one of the questions you ask yourself is, is this me, is this God, or is this the devil? Anybody else ever gone through that? Like, let's see, which one is this? Because you're just, you're trying to learn to hear God. I actually believe Jesus also went through this. He had to learn to grow up and learn to, again, hear the voice of his father. He had to go through this. And I'm not so sure that right when he heard this voice, that he actually knew all the way what he was dealing with. Is this just some demon? Is, what, what is this? Is this guilt, shame, and condemnation trying to come? What is this? Is this my identity, an attack on my, what is this? But he just kept bringing the word, he bringing the word. And the third time the enemy showed up, it's almost like he overplayed his hand and, the, and Jesus goes, oh, I know who you are. And it's like once he knew who he was, he didn't even tolerate it anymore. He goes, you, get out. Amen. In fact, it'll make you feel good. Just get your arm out like this and say, get out. One more country version, gone. How do you spell that? <laughs> gone. Y'all have done it before, gone. I, and I just love, and, and it, here's the best part of the whole story. When Jesus said gone, he went on. Amen. What are we talking about here? The same authority that Jesus was walking in, he's inviting us into that same authority. When the enemy's coming at you, you can say, Gone, and he'll go on. I had this phrase, this is such a stupid phrase, but it's like, I, I feel like the enemy's still living rent-free in some of your heads. Exactly. He's still, it's like, sometimes I think we don't realize, like, wait a minute. Let me, I'm, I'm gonna try to tread lightly on this subject because I'm, honestly, I'm not trying to be rude or anything, but like, people that have, that, that chronically deal with, um, insecurity and they chronically deal with fear and they chronically deal with depression. It's like, I, sometimes I just want to grab him and shake him. It's like, stop letting him win and stop believing what he says about you. And there's a part of it that even sometimes wants to go, hey, the, king, the kingdom of God is advancing forcefully and the violent take it by force. There needs to be some aggression in your warfare here. You're, you're not... These thoughts of guilt, shame, and this woe is me. What's going on? I'm just dealing with insecurity again today. I'm so insecure. I'm so. Then tell insecurity to leave. Everybody, just one more time with me. Go on. And I think sometimes it takes us a while to notice it. Like all of a sudden, it's like the first time the thought comes, the first time the accusation comes, the first time the shame comes, the first time the guilt comes, the first time the disqualifying word comes, all these things that the enemy's just constantly bombarding us with. I think the first time it comes, we just, we just do this thing like where we just shake our head like, well, that'll go away. No, it won't. Your thoughts have to obey your words. Amen. Notice, when these things were coming at Jesus, it didn't say he thought. He thought, the scriptures say. What did he do? He said. When God was creating the world, he said. When we were accepting and being recreated as, as new creatures in Christ Jesus, what did we have to do to accept that new birth? We had to speak with our mouth. There's this principle in the word that your, your words are more powerful than you may know. You think I'm joking, but you need to introduce that gone to your prayer life. Lord, I say, and Jesus, Satan, you just gone. Just gone. I don't know why I keep saying, like, I don't know, it's fun to me. I don't think it's as fun to everybody else as it is to me. Like. <laughs> James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves to God. Submit yourselves then to God and what? Resist the devil. As believers, we are supposed to be confronters 
of the enemy. Not disallowing him to kind of go around and, no, no, we are, we are there to confront him. We've been power, authority over him to confront him, never to put up with his bull stuff. I'm trying to rein it in, I swear I'm trying to rein it in. Jesus confronted Satan. Second thing Jesus confronted was sin. He actually confronted sin. One of the things that I've noticed in my own life, I didn't grow up with a revelation of the goodness of God, the grace of God. I'm not saying it wasn't, I didn't have the opportunity. It just didn't land in my head. And uh, about 12 years ago, I, I had some encounters with the Lord that just led me on this radical journey where I just really began to understand the goodness of God and the finished work of the cross. And in learning that, one of the things that I was in it being, I would declare it all the time, like, Lord, it's not about my works, it's about your works. It's not about my works, it's about your works. And let me just say, that is 100% true as it pertains to your salvation, but it's not 100% true as it pertains to your dominion. Hear me, because I'm trying to help you here. It is not about your works. Your salvation is not about your works, but your dominion is. Your being in control of your own environment, your advancing the king, your works actually do have a part to play. In fact, we'd like to, we don't like to say this part, but we'd love to say that the, the, the great commission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into all the world. What's great? Go into all the world. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. The world needs to hear the good news. Did you know that in one translation, it's a whole nother addition to that it says go into all the go to all the world make disciples of all the nations and then teach them to obey teach them to obey there's an order to this you need to know how good God is and that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus then the next thing you need to do is knowing that you're hidden in Christ and your salvation doesn't come from works then you need to grow up into Christ Jesus in all things learn to obey him so that you can walk in the dominion you're called to walk in Talking about obedience is not nullifying the grace of God. Talking about sin does not nullify the grace of God. All it does is tells you and reminds you of the place that you're called to walk in, this place of dominion, the same place Adam and Eve walked back in the garden. This concept, of, it just keeps blowing up in my head. Every, it's almost like everything the Lord did, it was to get us back to Eden. Back to Eden. Back in relationship. Back in dominion. Back in provision. Back, back in health and prosperity. Back to Eden. And because of this, because Jesus created us to walk in dominion, he never didn't confront sin. When he, when he encountered the woman caught in adultery, what did he do? He defended her publicly, got her alone in private, and then said, hey, stop. You gotta stop. Was this, conf was this confrontation of sin born of judgment? Was he judging her? Well, who you tell me what I'm supposed to be doing in my life? No, no, you don't need that. What is, what's he doing? Hey, don't do this unless something worse happens. Why was he confronting the sin? Because the wages of sin is death. And he came to give life and life more abundantly. The sin was standing in the way of God delivering to you the dominion and the power and all the things that he was asking you to walk in. It's almost like a, a, as a child, when my kids are growing up, I'm watching, and there's certain levels of power, if you will, like a credit card, a car key, uh, keys to the house, whatever this, whatever. There's certain levels of power and authority that I don't give to them till they're ready to handle it. Because if I give them the power and the authority and the dominion premature to their, to their maturity, I've literally set them up for failure. And God loves us so much. He's not 
just get this in your head. He's not keeping anything from you today. He's not keeping anything, anything from you, but he's keeping a lot of things for you. Because if he gave them to you now, you wouldn't know how to handle them. <laughs> My pastor in Tennessee one time, I, I, our church in Tennessee was an all-black church. Me and Leanne were the only two white people in the church. It was one of my favorite times through college. Just, I absolutely loved it. But I don't know if you guys have ever been to a black church, but I feel like black pastors can get away with saying way more than white pastors can get away with saying. <laughs> like how black pastors talk to their people, y'all would not come back to church if I talked to y'all this way. I'm just, that's how it feels to me. And so he, I'll never forget Pastor McCown one time saying, he said, some of y'all believe in God for a new house. You ain't even got the one you got clean right now. And I was like, oh. sin, the wages of sin is death. He came to give life, life more abundantly. His love for you dictated, it's like it collided with this hatred of sin because of what it produced. And it caused him, it compelled him to confront sin. He confronted the sin with the woman caught in adultery. One story, the woman caught the woman at the well, he, the Bible says they were on this journey and said, Jesus tells his disciples, I had to go this way. Well, if you look at it on the map, actually he didn't necessarily have to go that way. It would have been more efficient naturally for him to just keep on going the way that they were going. But it says, Jesus, I have to go this direction. And um, so he meets this woman at the well, they have this conversation. And in the conversation, Jesus says, hey, why don't you go get your husband? And as soon as he said that, like, he knew exactly what he was doing. Because she says, well, I, sir, I, I don't have a husband. And he said, well, you're, you're right about that. You've had five husbands, and the dude you're shacked up with right now ain't even your husband. <laughs> and if, if, I'm just imagining if anybody else was around, like, oh, he done said something. But, and then I love her, I love her response. I perceive that you're a prophet. Interesting the way he did it. Interesting the way that he confronted the sin. He did it in a more prophetic, unique way. But nonetheless, she knew he knew. And it was almost like that's all that, that's all that she needed. I mean, this literally just recently, it came to me today by revelation as I was just meditating on this, even preaching it. Jesus said, I had to go this way. He has this interaction with this woman. She perceives that he's, got, he's telling the truth about some things and says the woman goes into town and said, come meet a man that told me everything about my life. Now, if you go read that, I'm like, he told you one thing. He really, well, maybe a couple things, but he didn't tell you everything. But though his words and his, his, his love for her, his humility and how he confronted her, everything about the way he did it, she did not run from him saying, I can't believe he's talking to me like this. My life ain't none of your business. Stop judging me. You don't even know what the third husband did. The fourth one, don't even get me started on him. She didn't go into any of that. But the way he convicted her, the way he confronted her brought such a balance of conviction and response. This blows, this blows my mind. She goes to the city and says, come meet a man that t told me everything about my life. And it said the whole city came. When I said that this morning, the Lord said to me, she was called to evangelize. And I had to come help her get the sin out of her life to restore the call of God on her life to evangelize. Y'all know anybody else can come say something like that and the whole city come? Can I just say this to some of you? 
there needs to be some confrontation of the sin in your life, not to embarrass you, not to condemn you, not to, con- shame, not to shame you, but to get you back on track for the call of God on your life. It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. I think one of the difficult things to overcome in situations like that is like I can say a word like that and I can give a, a word like that and in this room, amen, Lord, I, yeah, I need to get that, yeah, I do. But what are you gonna do when that confront, confrontation come, comes from another human being? We'll get there eventually. I, this is gonna be kind of a multi-part thing, but let me just, we'll just land it right here because this is where we're gonna get because people just didn't confront sin. Number two and number three are kind of saying he confronted sin, but he confronted people. As a human being, you confronted other human beings. Like when, let me read you this story real quick and then we'll, we'll just land it right here. It says, um, Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. Bizarre story here. Then Peter took him aside. Now mind you, this is towards the end of Jesus' uh, ministry time and time with the three years of the disciples, three, three and a half years, somewhere in that time period. Says that Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Rule number one of Christianity don't rebuke a savior. Don't rebuke Jesus. He says, Far be it from me, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Verse 23 says, But he, mean Jesus, he turned and what did he do? He said to Peter, Jesus said to Peter, Jesus said this, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me if you're not mindful of the things of God but of the things of men. There's such a sobering sensation about this of like, man, I never in my zeal but my immaturity want to be pushing against the things of God and not mindful of the things of God, but more mindful of the things of man. But in this moment, well, and let me just say this, and I'll read the scripture just so you know I didn't think I made this up. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. A lot of times, and I don't know if you're like me, but I've done that when, um, and sometimes it's right, we'll think we have a problem with a, pe- a person. And, and sometimes this scripture will come up. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It's like, oh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. But in my head, I'm like, no, my problem's with that dude right there. You, I will say his name out loud right now, Jesus. Like, that's my problem. Here, here's what the Lord said to me. Sometimes people partner with wickedness. And the only way to shake them loose from that, that destructive partnership is to confront the person. Notice that when Peter said this, it didn't say Jesus turned and said to Satan. No, he said it to Peter. He said it to Peter. Have you ever had to confront someone about something that you knew they weren't gonna like what you had to say when you, had, when you said it? Man, I, I remember years, this has been a long time ago, but I, I somehow found out that a friend of mine had, a, had a, uh, uh, one of their children um, was living a secret homosexual life. And I mean, I was in turmoil over the deal. I mean, absolute turmoil over the deal. And I remember having to go to this person 
and say, hey, I don't know another way to say this, but I, I just need to tell you about something that I feel like is going on. And it was, I mean, if you've ever had to confront something like that, I mean, you're just like, everything on your insides are just like, uh, this is terrible, this is wrong. I mean, you're, you're dealing with all these things, but they had one thought, and Leah and I had prayed through this, and the, the thing that we landed on was, if it was my kid, I'd have to know. And if it was my kid, and someone that one of my friends knew and didn't tell me, who is that? Who, what kind of friend are they really? Scripture says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, which means sometimes as a friend, you will have to knowingly wound another friend. It wasn't like he had done anything wrong, but man, I'm just saying, that was one, I, to my mind, that was one of the hardest things that, that I had to do. And, and I remember sharing this with this person, and, um, and then it created the most incredible reconciliation with their family, with their child, not an issue anymore. It birthed something in their family that's just completely changed their family. And it's like, you know, I, there had to be some person-to-person confrontation. Let me just say this, not everything, not everything God's called you to do is, well, we'll just pray about that. Well, we'll just pray about that. Well, we'll just pray about that. You know, I, I propose that if you start to really love what God loves, and which would cause you to hate the things that he hates, that you would start following suit of Jesus, say, you know what, sometimes I'm gonna have to say something really strong to the person because the person has partnered with a principality, because the person has partnered with the enemy, because they maybe are ignorant and don't understand that what they're doing and how destructive it really is. It's not easy when someone's the gossiping, go, hey, are you, you're not gossiping, are you? You're with one of your friends and y'all have a friend group and there's four, there's four couples in the friend group, but this time only two of the couples showed up. And next thing you know, two couples start kind of talking about the other two couples. Oh, I'm the only one ever. It's like, wait a minute, you're not, are, do they, have you said this to their face before? You ever said that to their face? Because let's just know, especially if you're out to eat, having a good time, yada, 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 and all of a sudden somebody just gets off track, just gets off track a little bit. You have to know the words that are going to come out of my mouth are about to ruin this evening but it may save their life. I, I just want us to be a people that are so consumed by the things that God loves, so appalled by the things that he hates, that when I see something hurting someone, whether it's that sowing discord among the brethren, you go back and read in chapter, in Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs 7, the seven things God hates, but um, he, he hates a lying tongue. He hates sowing discord among the brethren. He hates a haughty look. He, he hates uh, hands that shed innocent blood. There, there are some things that he hates. You have to get to the point where you hate the things that he hates, but it's because that you love the things that he loves. And when those two emotions collide on the inside of you, it's like, the, it's like this, know, it's like a chemistry thing. It's like when those two things collide, the product is Christian confrontation. Because I love what he loves. I have to hate what he hates. When I've got these two things working, I don't care if it ruins an evening at my favorite Mexican food restaurant and they just brought me a margarita. I'm just saying that to mess with some of your heads. You're like, I don't know. Does he like margaritas? Does he drink? I don't know. <laughs> it's worth ruining the meal over to advance the kingdom. It's worth ruining 
the meal over to save someone's life because the wages of sin is death. It's worth ruining the meal over to see someone get that sin out of their life and realize the call of God on their life. It's worth it. And I think it's just, it's just gonna take some people that love what God loves and hates what he hates so much that they get in community. Now, and I can go into some of this maybe next time, but also notice Jesus confronted different people different based on his relationship with them. Like to, to Peter, it's get behind me Satan. That is not permission to just leave today with your Satan pistols, like. Satan, Satan, Satan. It's not, not the point. Every time that he did it, somehow he managed the tension between confrontation and mercy and truth. Like Jesus, Jesus was full of both grace and truth. His grace never made him not tell the truth. His truth never made him not be gracious. It's a phenomenal thing. Oh, that we would have the level of grace and truth that we could confront, and it never caused division, but always caused reconciliation. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.